Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. I'm very, very honored really to be here with Dr. Wiggy Saunders um, of Robin Hood Integrative Health in Winston-Salem and also of the North Carolina Physicians for Freedom. Dr. Saunders, we've been talking about the vaccines. Let me present to you a a little piece of data that I heard. Uh, I heard that you know, of course, that COVID is one of the SARS uh, viruses. And about 10, 11 years ago, we had an epidemic of the SARS virus, the swine flu, whatever they called it back then. And I, I read a report by a virologist who had studied those viruses. And he said that the the DNA of the SARS virus from 11 years ago contained 80% of the same DNA as the COVID virus now, that there was just a 20% difference uh, in the DNA. And he went on to say that some of those patients who uh, had the SARS virus 11 years ago still had immunity uh, to that and to the COVID virus today. And then he went on to say that the difference between all of these different variants that are coming out is not 20%, but it's less than 1%. He said actually 0.3%. And so he was calling into question why we need all these boosters for different variants if the SARS virus of 11 years ago caused immunity of patients who had in the COVID era. Do you have any information on that? Well, that's an interesting question. I think it's there's two parts to that question. It, it does have a question related to the vaccine and boosters, but also has a question related to natural immunity, which is, I think is an important point because you're right, back back in that prior uh, pandemic or that, that prior infection, people did seem to have robust and long-lasting natural immunity, not only to that virus, but also to other coronaviruses like COVID. And so that that, that is one of the one of the things that is pointing us towards natural immunity is long lasting and it is robust. And I think that that is an important point also with this pandemic with COVID-19 is that natural immunity is underemphasized. It's not talked about enough and it's not even in the discussion when it comes to the vaccine. I believe that natural immunity is long lasting. It is robust. And I believe that it does provide protection from all these different variants. And I've seen it. So I've seen where people they've had COVID before sometimes, most of the times we treat them, sometimes they just get over it and then they can get it again. There was some debate about whether or not you can get COVID again. And I'm seeing patients that have gotten it more than one time, but almost always after they get it an initial time and they get it again, the second case is very mild. 
So they do have good natural immunity and they, their body knows how, how to fight these. The vaccine does not appear to provide the same type of immunity as the natural infection does. It's a different type of immunity. And I think that's why we're saying that boosters are going to have to be necessary in order to try to maintain some level of protection ongoing. So in other words, as far as you're concerned, uh, the boosters really do, they sort of enhance the overall immunity. Is that what you would think? No, I, not necessarily. I don't think that the boosters enhance the overall immune expression. They enhance the antibody levels. So it's only one piece of the pie that you get. That You get a larger piece of the pie when you get a booster. You have a larger section of antibodies, but you're missing the other pieces. The other pieces are the memory cells, like the memory T cells and the B cells. You're also not getting the, uh, the other types of antibody production that you get, like in the mucosal membranes. So it is a very limited response. It is interesting that it does appear to, again, provide some degree of protection from severe disease. But I think we can say pretty confidently now, it doesn't really prevent you from getting it. And it also doesn't prevent you from spreading it, which is another important point when it comes down to why are we talking about mandates when it doesn't do the job that we want it to do? That's a really a great question, actually. And the, and the mandates are part of that whole government uh, structure that has come down uh, on the American people. So can we talk about some of the public health issues involved in this disease? Lockdowns, masks, mandates. How do, how do you see all that? Well, I think looking back, I think most people would agree that we probably could have done things differently. I think there was too much of a push towards this concept of fear and towards the concept of we can control a virus. I think that that is a little arrogant for us to think that we can control this virus. And we, if we just hide enough that this thing will just go away. And we're seeing that that, that hasn't worked. And really, if you look at any of the public health policies that were put in place, things like the lockdown, like the mask, like vaccine mandates, especially the countries that have done that to the extreme, they actually are having some of the worst case numbers that they've ever had. And so no one can really say, oh, we need to shut down two weeks to, to flatten the curve. The curve is flat, but it's on the wrong axis. It's going, it's going straight up. You know, we are seeing so many cases right now. And, and so to, to call this a public health success is inaccurate. This is a public health failure. So many things that we did were incorrect. And it's because we focused on the wrong thing. And it's, it's kind of like the, the idea of medicine. Medicine shouldn't be reactive. Medicine should be proactive. We should be trying to do things to get patients healthier. So if they get sick, most people do, they're going to be able to, to beat it and they're going to be, and they're going to be fine. If we looked at this from a proactive angle, I think we would, we would have gotten through this a lot faster. I think we've had less mortality overall. And I think we're probably back to normal at this point. So you obviously must be familiar with the, the Swedish way of dealing with COVID. Would you like to elaborate on that? Well, the, the Swedish approach is basically we, they didn't do much. Uh, they said, you know, we should be careful. You know, let's protect the, the highest risk people, the elderly. Let's make sure that they're, they're somewhat isolated. But otherwise, they kind of continued to live life as, as normal. So they didn't really have any severe lockdowns. They didn't have any mask mandates. They just continued to live life. And they were hammered for that. They, you know, there were so many people who said this is irresponsible. This is going to kill so many people. But now looking back, you can see that th that was actually a fairly, fairly effective approach because they probably got to a level of herd immunity based on natural immunity a lot quicker without having to rely solely on 
these other measures like the vaccines. And so now their overall mortality is actually, yeah, their overall mortality rate is actually pretty good. Well, you know, I, there was a, a nice long discussion by Dr. Mar- Dr. Martin Kuldorf, uh, who, who was Swedish, but he came to this country, went to Harvard Medical School, uh, became a, an epidemiologist there and is still in the Harvard uh, uh, system. And that's basically what he said. He outlined uh, that what they did in Sweden was he felt the right thing. They protected the ones most vulnerable and let society go on uh, as it should. And they developed herd immunity, which, if you recall, back in the beginning, um, our uh, public health scientists were telling us how stupid we were to even expect herd immunity. Well, I think we were, we were called lots of different things when we, when we challenged, challenged the narrative. But herd immunity is the only way for us to get out of this. What I find frustrating is that um, they're calling herd immunity vaccinated immunity. That's the only type of immunity that matters. And it's ignoring all of the people that have natural immunity, especially, and this is where it's really important, they're ignoring the natural immunity for so many kids. And that's really where the, where the battleground is. The battleground is for kids, you know, for, for adults that can make their own decisions and that they, they weigh the risks and the benefits, you know, that, that's a different discussion. But now they're trying to push the vaccines on kids. And there's estimates that anywhere from 50 to 80% of kids have already had COVID. They've already had it and they've beaten it and they probably didn't have any, any major symptoms from it. And so to try and push something like a vaccine on someone that already has natural immunity, they have pretty much no risk from the virus. That's where I think we're really starting to, to, to lose. We're starting to go off the rails when we start to talk about, you know, mandating a vaccine for kids. And I think that's especially true, uh, Dr. Wiggy, when you when you realize that a lot of the complications of the vaccine for children are pretty darn serious, aren't they? There are. So, the, so that's where, it, again, when we talk about anything, we have to be considering what are the benefits and what are the risks. And kids, the benefit is there's really there's really not a lot of benefit for the vast majority of kids. The cases are so mild. A lot of times they have just a, just a little, you know, upper respiratory infection, a little runny nose, but they typically just continue to run around and and be kids. There's there really is not a lot of severe disease. Yes, there are a few kids that that died and that that is tragic and so we don't want to to downplay that but again from a from a from a overall risk standpoint these kids really have very very little risk uh, from the virus now there's there there are some complications from the vaccine and so that's where it's important that if it is their potential risk then there has to be choice are they at a really high risk from the vaccine no they're also not at a really high risk from the vaccine but the same thing is that one case of myocarditis where that kid can no longer be an athlete, that's too many. Or if one kid dies from the vaccine, that is, that is also too many to say that, well, you know, that that one doesn't matter. But the one kid that had a problem from the, from the virus does. And so, yes, there are both sides of this coin. You have to you have to look at the, the risks and the benefits. The benefits really aren't there. The risks are possible. So I don't have to really ask you where you stand on that triad of vaccine mandates versus choice versus patient rights. And I've, I've, I've felt strongly about this kind of from kind of from day one. And I've actually predicted that this is where we're heading, you know, kind of started back with the masks. It is, OK, well, let's 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 do a mandate here with the masks and see what people are willing to do. And then we're going to see what comes next. And, I, and that's what I predicted was going to happen, that there was going to be this push for the vaccines to be mandated. And that's what that's what we're seeing now. And and I don't even fully understand the other side of the aisle 
where people are saying that this is actually good public health policy to force something against someone's will and making them do something that, again, that has a potential for harm. And why are, so, why are people so afraid to even say that there is this potential for harm? Because there is. And we, we know that based on the VAERS database, we know that based on the Department of Defense data, that there are things that are happening that weren't happening before. And like I said, even if there is one bad outcome, that still is a potential risk, even if it's one in a million. That's still a potential risk. And so we need to be we need to be considering that. And and that's why I, I do feel strongly that mandating anything is is inappropriate. We can't be forcing people to do things that they don't feel like is appropriate for themselves. And also that gives the doctor-patient relationship that leeway to look at each individual, to look at their individual risk factors, to consider their genetics, to consider their other complications, and make an informed decision. I think that there are certain patients that should get the vaccine, and I've encouraged them to do so. But then I also think there are a lot of patients that there is no real benefit for them to do it, and it doesn't make sense for them to get the vaccine. Well, that's essentially what the doctor-patient relationship is for. It's for patients to come to you and get your opinion, not for you to force them to do anything, and especially not for a non-physician entity like the government to force them to do something which even you as their physician doesn't think is appropriate. Absolutely. And, and this is where I think that this is a battleground. You know, this is this is what's happening. They are trying to force people to do things and to carry out their marching orders. And the doctors are the ones that are kind of in that position where we are we are put in that position where we are supposed to carry out these these marching orders. And I think as physicians, we need to be asking ourselves, we should be asking ourselves this question for every patient. What is the risk benefit analysis? Does the potential risk outweigh the benefits? Even if you're told you're supposed to do this for the patient, is that the right thing to do? And, and if it's not the right thing to do, we need to, be, we need to be informing our patients. I don't think this is the best thing for you to do. I think that there's potentially more risk than benefit in this situation. And given your underlying health or overall health, and help them feel confident that they don't have to do something just because they are being coerced into doing something. Realistically, uh, Dr. Wiggy, what are the choices now for physicians and patients? What, what are their realistic choices? From a private practice standpoint, I think we actually have more, I think we have more options. And part of that is going to depend on the leadership of the organization. So in, with our organization, with our medical practice, Robin Hood Integrative Health, we believe strongly in medical freedom and medical choice. So we are not going to force anybody to do something that they don't feel like is best for themselves. And especially if all of our providers, if our providers don't believe that that is best for that patient. But there are lots of doctors that are in positions with different organizations that they really don't have that flexibility. There And this is where there are a lot of people that are drawing the line that says, you have to do this. You have to get these people vaccinated. If you don't, then you're at risk. They're actually, you know, it's more of a threatening to the, to the doctors. And so that is not giving them their true ability to, to practice medicine when you, are, when you are making them look over their shoulder and see what is somebody going to think of me if I'm saying, I don't know if this, this is the right thing for this patient. And so if you're in certain organizations as a doctor, you really are limited as far as what options you have for patients. You know, I think I'd find it very, very difficult personally to practice in that kind of a structure. Uh, I can't imagine a physician who is truly believes in the Hippocratic Oath, uh, just blindly going along with what some corporate 
corporate decision makers say they have to do. I mean, that's not really practicing medicine, is it? Well, it's definitely not. And, and that's why I have a tough time understanding kind of where some of my colleagues are coming from, because it is just falling in line. Part of that, I think, goes back to kind of how we are trained as physicians. You know, we're trained in some ways as kind of a military mindset. We have to trust the person that's ahead of us. You know, we have to trust as a, you know, intern, you trust the, the residents. And as the residents, you, you know, you turn to the attendings and the attendings, they turn towards the head of the department. So there is that kind of hierarchy in medical education. And so we almost are taught to, to follow the leader and not be a, a critical thinker. So I think some, some people are just stuck in that mindset. Well, this is what the, you know, my, the head of the department told me to do. So that's the right thing to do. What we need as doctors is we need more critical thinkers. And we need to be questioning everything that is being presented to us and saying, one, is this, is this accurate? And, and what would be the motivation behind it? And not enough people are, are asking that question. But I agree, if, if knowing what I know now, and I was told that I had to do certain things in a certain way, I don't think I could do it that way, because that is actually going against my oath to do the best thing for, for the patients based on my, my best ability. As, as a doctor who practices integrative medicine, what do you advise your patients as a preventive? Well, that, that's an ongoing process. So there's not necessarily one thing that is, is the, the magic uh, for preventing disease. There are multiple things that we do. Vitamin D is probably the easiest thing to do because you can check a level and you can optimize the level. For vitamin D, generally, the higher the level, I think there is more protection. We've seen that with our patients. If patients have a robust vitamin D level, I'd say above 50 or 60, they tend to have a better outcome uh, from COVID. But then we also need to be addressing the comorbidities. You know, we need to be addressing the blood sugar. That's a big problem for so many people, and they don't even know it. There's so many people with prediabetes. They're not even full-blown diabetic. They're prediabetic. And that can actually be reversed in a couple months if you know the right diet and the right supplements to, to add in. And so we will correct people's prediabetes. We'll get their blood pressure under control. We'll get their vitamin D levels up. We'll optimize their thyroid. We optimize their adrenals. We optimize everything because that's the best prevention is being healthy. If you're healthy and you are taking care of yourself and you're taking the right things, we, you, you don't have to be afraid because you can handle this. Of course, there are these random cases where like, well, that was, that was strange. I didn't anticipate that outcome or that, that person to get that sick. But for the most part, as long as you are taking care of yourself, you're being proactive, you're going you're to do fine. I'm going to just read you in closing a little skit, and I don't even know where I got this, but it's kind of funny. It's called Discussion in a Restaurant, and I'll read it to you. It's two people talk, uh, a couple comes in, and they say, hi, table for two, and they say, sure, what's your name? Nikki, great. Do you and your guests have your vaccination cards? Hmm, well, first, can you tell us who our server will be? Well, it looks like Brad will be your server tonight. Great. Can you show us Brad's vaccination card? And also, can you provide me with proof that Brad is not a carrier of HIV, hepatitis A or B, or any other communicable disease? Same for you and the kitchen staff. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's where we're headed in many ways, wouldn't you think? Yes, that's, the, that's definitely the direction we're going. I think it's also crazy that there are so many uh, businesses that are asking for the vaccine status in order to maintain employment. That is a that is a personal that is personal medical information, and that should be between you and and your doctor. 
anybody else asking for that information, there should have to be some consent from the patient that they want to release that information. Uh, but that is that is not even being being an option right now. And so, yes, that we're heading towards more control. We're heading towards less privacy. We're heading towards less freedom. That's the direction we're heading. And that's why that's why we founded North Carolina Physicians for Freedom is that this is the time for us to fight because we're not there yet, but that's the direction we're heading. Thank you very much, Dr. Wiggy Saunders. This has been a fascinating discussion. Website, robinhoodintegrativehealth.com and ncphysiciansforfreedom.com. Thank you so very, very much for being a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. I get joy in everything, everything, everything.